that uh, I think is going to be helpful, uh, that I hope will be helpful uh, to you as you endeavor to serve the Lord victoriously. It is God's will that you serve the Lord victoriously. And so we're going to uh, look into the word of the Lord this evening and through the month of February. We're going to be ministering on this topic, enemies of the heart, enemies of the heart. And I read a book a little while back entitled Enemies of the Heart. And it was written by Andy Stanley. Uh, it was an excellent book. And I'm not going to be speaking verbatim uh, on the book that he wrote. Um, but there were four principles that he brought out in this book that I want to share with you uh, over the month of February I believe that he was able to pinpoint some principles uh, and, and that we would benefit from understanding those principles. First of all, I would like to begin by saying that the heart is a complex matter. Uh, very difficult to, to understand the heart. In fact, I will go as far as to say it is impossible through the flesh. You cannot understand the heart through the flesh because the heart that I speak about is a spiritual thing. So it cannot be understood through carnal means. It has to be understood through spiritual means. It is spiritually discerned, spiritually interpreted. And so, you know, for instance, if I were to, to tell you, you got a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You may have heard that said before. It, another way of saying it would be it's a, it's a character flaw. You know, when we have something going on on the inside and, and we keep repeating some sort of a destructive habit, destructive pattern, and we're not, we're not beating it, we're not overcoming it, then we begin to learn that this is a character problem. This is a, a heart Problem. This means that you can try through, through physical efforts all you want and even through misguided spiritual endeavors and never solve the problem because it is a matter of the heart and your heart is an invisible thing. It is an intangible thing. You cannot find help for your heart through this world's apparatus if I were to tell you to go find a heart specialist to help you with your heart issues and you google heart specialists Cincinnati Ohio you could set up an appointment you could talk with them at length and they could help you with the organ in your chest that is keeping your body alive but they they cannot help you with the heart I'm talking about because the heart I'm talking about is a spiritual thing. You can't find it on an MRI. You can't find it on an x-ray. You can't find it in a CAT scan. You cannot locate it through carnal measures and means. And so it must be dealt with spiritually. The Bible says a lot about the heart. This is why it's important that we talk about the heart. Very important. The Bible speaks to it. Uh, in fact, several references, particularly in the Psalms, where David describes his whole heart. He said, with my whole heart, I will praise thee. You know it's a whole heart that praises God? It's a whole heart. Now, you can praise God with a shattered heart, with a broken heart, but to, to really experience the total benefit of praising God and the power associated with it, you won't know that the extent of praise the power of praise until you praise him with your whole heart. And, and, and the wholeness of heart is so important. Let me tell you exactly how important it is. The greatest commandment, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Him only shall you serve. You shall love him with all of your heart. With all of it. So if there's a part of it that's not operating, if there's a part of it that's been broken off and left to die somewhere in your past, somewhere in your life, then you're not capable.
without spiritual intervention to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart or to praise him with all of your heart or whole heart. Psalm 119, several verses of scripture, the psalmist says, I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. I will keep thy law with my whole heart. See, you're trying to keep the law of God with half a heart. That's why you're giving it a half-hearted effort. Because your whole heart is not invested in it. And the reason is very simple. You don't know what to do with your heart. You don't know, you don't know how to deal with your heart. And you certainly don't realize that there are enemies that have attached themselves like leeches to your heart and are draining from you the life flow that God would have you to experience. So we're going to talk about enemies of the heart through the month of February. There are going to be four enemies that we're going to identify. The first is guilt. The second is anger. The third is, is envy. And the third is greed, rather. And the fourth is envy. And these are the four enemies of the heart that we're going to address. The first that we're going to deal with tonight is the enemy of the heart called guilt. Anybody ever felt guilty? Anybody ever felt guilt? That, that, that's that bad feeling that you just, there's something unresolved, something that you did uh, wrong that needs to be righted. Something that you wish you wouldn't have done, wish you could somehow take back, redo, do over. Well, that's a tricky feeling uh, because let me, just, let me just point out, guilt is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Guilt is a state of being. It's not a, a state of feeling. Now, you can feel condemned for something that you are guilty of. But you don't just feel guilty. You're either guilty or you're not. And the devil is really good at making people feel condemned over something they should not feel condemned about. Whether it be because they did not do what the devil is making them feel badly of doing. Or because they did it but they confessed, they repented and the Lord has forgiven them. The devil is really good at trying to hold something over somebody's head. And guilt is an enemy of your heart. You stand under guilt very long and it will eat away at your heart. It will eat away at your spirit. So when I preach the word of God, when any man of God preaches the word of the Lord and stands behind this pulpit and delivers what thus saith the Lord, how many of you have ever been in a service where the word was just so... Uh, rich and so uh, pointed that you, it was like it was hitting you. And you're like, okay, somebody's been talking to this preacher. And you want to so you, you either get up and run out. Don't do that. Get up and run to the altar. When you get up and you, and you have that fight or flight moment and you're trying to think, which way should I go? Don't go that way. Go this way. Because God doesn't expose sin in our life to make us feel worse continually. God, like the righteous judge that he is, he convicts us of the things we've done wrong. He convicts us. Conviction is not a feeling. We have, a, we, we have relegated conviction to a feeling. That, that conviction is something you feel, oh man, that word was very convicting. Well, it doesn't just mean that it, it kind of read my mail. What it means is it pointed out where I'm guilty in my life. And so let God convict you. In other words, let God stand you up before his righteous judgment and say, through his word, you're guilty. Now what do you do when, you, when God tells you you're guilty? You don't mope. You don't, you don't pout. You don't go into some self-loathing. You don't go into some, oh, no, I'm not, self-defiant. You don't know what you're talking about. You may know everything else in the world, but you don't know what you're talking about when you're dealing with me. Don't go into that. It's very simple. Repent. Repent. So guilt is not a feeling. Guilt is a state of being. You're either guilty or you're not. If you are guilty, repent 
And if you're not guilty, rejoice. Don't let the devil beat you over the head continually over something God has either forgiven you of or something you may never have done in the first place. And so, so we're going to delve further into this, this matter of, of, of guilt. It is sin that is the problem. It is, it is something that we may have done or are doing. Don't underestimate the devil's work in this. You know, I know that it has been said we give the devil too much credit. And we do that a lot of times. But sometimes we don't give him enough credit. Don't underestimate the operation of your adversary trying to make you feel condemned about something God has forgiven you of. And don't underestimate the work of the adversary in trying to hold you in condemnation after God has forgiven you and to prevent you from truly releasing that guilt. Now, I'm going to tell you what the cure for this guilt is. And this comes from the, the book that I have described. And I think it's excellent. The first principle that the book references is that guilt is an enemy of the heart and that the cure for guilt, here's an action item, is confession. The cure for guilt is confession. But let's stick with guilt for just a moment. It can eat at you. It can gnaw at you. It can cause you to, to feel uh, like less of a person. And it can be any little thing. You know, uh, it is, uh, there are a lot of people who, who parent out of guilt. Who parent out of guilt. Maybe they feel like they are so busy. And maybe they feel like they have spent too much time away from the family. They've neglected and some of their primary roles. And so they end up creating a climate of permissiveness in their children. And in fact, this is one of the reasons, if you ever heard the, the term uh, spoiled rich kid. Not every rich kid is spoiled, but some are. And sometimes they don't have to be rich to be spoiled. Sometimes they can, they can lack means and still be caught up in an environment and in an atmosphere that is conducive to misbehavior because somewhere the parent feels guilty for the life the child has. Guilty for something they've done. Guilty for something they haven't done. Guilty for something they've done too much of. And so the way that it translates itself into their mode of parenting is that they either give everything that the child wants, they think the child has had it so rough that, that now they're going to make up for it through parenting out of guilt. You know, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. You know, uh, you, can, you can get caught up in your work to the point that you do many times forget that your primary field of labor is your own home. That can happen in the ministry. That can happen in the ministry. You know, the first souls I have to win are my children. Those are my first and foremost uh, uh, targets and priorities in my life. And, and they know, they know that if they're going to get a puppy, they're going to have to catch me at just the right time. We had, I had about 13 days of travel, traveling overseas and traveling back home had to travel three or four days domestically and then take a trip overseas and then come back and travel again three or four days. And when that trip was over, we had snuggles. Because when I got off the plane, we went directly to the pet store. I was <laughs> feeling guilty. And snuggles is a cherished member of our family today. But in all seriousness, guilt can drive you to compulsive behavior. Guilt can drive you to doing things you wouldn't normally do. Guilt can drain on your marital relationship. Guilt can drain on your parental relationship. Guilt can drain on your relationship with friends. And guilt will be a cancer to your relationship with God. You can never forgive somebody else 
if you have not allowed God to forgive you. Now, there are people who have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness. And let me be the first one to say that God's forgiveness is not fair. It isn't fair. If it were fair, then none of us would be here tonight. If God were to really hold us accountable for everything that we have done wrong, then, ladies and gentlemen, none of us would be here tonight. Because none of us are worthy of His grace, but His grace is given to the the lowest of the low. The most guilty of all have received the mercy of God, the grace and the favor of God. And so until until you receive God's forgiveness for your own sins, you're going to have a hard time forgiving other people. In fact, you'll find it impossible to forgive other people truly in in the love of God. Guilt leaves us with a mentality of I owe you. I owe you something. And you live your life believing that you owe somebody something. Many times you feel like you owe everybody around you something you can't give them. You you don't have the currency to, to give what would satisfy the devil's version of of guilt. The only currency that can satisfy the guilt you feel is what the Bible calls confession. Confession. Now, I want to point out some passages of Scripture that, that and portions of Scripture that illustrate how guilt affects the way people live their lives. Jacob was a guy who lived under the cloud of guilt. He felt guilty. He knew what he had done by getting the blessing while Esau was out in the field. And Jacob felt badly for it. He and, he and Rebekah were, were uh, scheming to get a blessing from Isaac. And he walks into Isaac's room. Isaac is laying there. His vision had waxed dim. And Jacob comes in, had put hair on his arms, had put on a coat that Esau would have worn and and he had the smell of the field on him and he and he brought food that Esau would have prepared and he came in acting like Esau and Isaac could sense it all perfectly he actually the only sense that he didn't have operating was his eyesight he he touched his skin this was his touch was all right he said you feel like you have hair on your arms that measures up with Esau he said I smell the food I tasted the food I can smell the field on your clothing so his sense of smell his sense of taste his sense of touch his sense of hearing was fine because he said you sound just like Jacob but everything else is just like Esau and Jacob measured managed to receive the blessing of Isaac and and did so by deceiving him. And that haunted him for a long period of his life. In fact, when he went into the next phase of his life, it was in a relationship with a man by the name of Laban who would become his father-in-law. Laban lied to him, deceived him. He got back what he did to Isaac. But here's what guilt will do to you. Guilt will make you feel like you deserve that. Guilt will make you feel like I owe you the prospect of of you getting to deceive me, you getting to hurt me, you getting to wound me because I am so guilty for the things I've done in my life that now I can't see myself as being worth respect, as being worth love, as being worth some sort of of reasonable relationship. So Jacob just took it. For seven years he worked for Laban and, and he did so believing that Rachel was going to be his wife and he married her and found out the next morning it wasn't Rachel. 
It was Leah. So he went to Laban and said, yeah, we uh, got a little problem here. And Laban said, if you work seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. I couldn't give Rachel to you first. She wasn't the oldest. But in those seven years, nobody came looking for Leah. So I guess you're going to have to take Leah. He said, but if you work for me for seven years more, you'll get Rachel. So he did. And after Rachel, six more years. After 20 years of working with Laban and being cheated and being mistreated and being unappreciated and disrespected over and over and over and again and deceived by Laban, finally Jacob launched out on his own and, and, and when Laban came looking for him, Jacob said, you know what, I worked for you for 20 years and I did so at my own peril, I did so at my own loss. And, and you have nothing against me. Somewhere he developed the boldness to stand up to the guilt in his life and say, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. But guilt will make you believe that you deserve mistreatment. Now, here's the important thing. I want to point this out. You don't want to take care of this through guilty or through carnal means and ways. Because if you do, then you'll address it carnally. And you'll live carnally and so you will demand then self-respect instead of godly respect you'll develop an attitude of secular humanistic behavior I'm going to get mine mentality that's not of God either you are to be humble before others and before God and you can do that with a proper perspective and a proper attitude that is formed and developed by the Holy Ghost. In Mark chapter 6, we read an interesting account. If you remember King Herod, King Herod had had John the Baptist murdered. Herodias' daughter danced, and the reward of the dance was that he would give her whatever she asked for. And when she came back with the request... He was stunned, but he had already vowed in the presence of so many people. The request was John the Baptist's head in a charger. This went against everything Herod knew to be right, but he did it. Why? Because he was feeling guilty. Because there was sin in his life. He had just, he had just indulged his flesh, and he's feeling guilty. And so he says, I'm going to provide whatever she wants and when he provides John's head in the charger now he has a new layer of guilt that is come upon him and this new layer of guilt puts him in a position again of owing everybody around him something and so verse 14 of Mark chapter 6 says King Herod heard of him speaking of Jesus for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elijah. And others said that it is a prophet. Or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John, whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. That's what guilt will do to you. Guilt will cause you to live the rest of your life believing that what is dead in your past will rise up to come after you again. What a, what a blessing to know. And I'm not defending what, John, what Herod did to John, but what a blessing to know that when you've committed sin and you look back on the sin that you committed, and you're afraid that it is John. It's not John. It's Jesus. What a fear that grips people when they begin to believe that their past mistakes and failures have tracked them down, have stalked them, have learned of their whereabouts, and will now... Destroy them. It's a, it's a condemnation that comes from the enemy and it will deplete from you every ounce 
of joy, every ounce of confidence, every ounce of peace of mind. Jacob experienced this 20 years after having worked for Laban. Jacob had done uh, things in his youth that he was not a, at all uh, uh, proud of. He was embarrassed by them, didn't want anybody to know about it. He was trying to live a new life, trying to start a new course, and everything seems to be going good. He broke from Laban, and so now he doesn't have this, this abuser in his life, and he's trying now to, to, to set a new course. Anybody ever been there before when you're trying to, trying to start over, trying to get over what you did, how you used to be, the way you used to treat people, the stuff you used to do? Hey, I'm telling you something, ladies and gentlemen. In Jesus Christ, you can have new life. Listen, his mercies are new every morning. My God, have mercy. Uh, Somebody needs to hear this right now. People might try to hold something over your head, but not God. God doesn't hold stuff over our heads. Not when we confess and repent. The Lord forgives us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I'm going to say it one more time. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. That's why we praise. That's why we dance. That's why we shout. Because God, hallelujah, forgives us and washes us and cleanses us. And don't let any devil in hell tell you otherwise. Jacob had just broken with Laban. Jacob is a new man. I want to get a new start. I want things to be different now. And so Jacob launches out into his new life, his new world. And gets some of the worst news you could ever imagine. Esau's coming. Just like Herod. It's John. No, Herod, it's not John. It's Jesus. Esau's coming. I know what that means. That means, that means it's, it's over. He said 20 years ago he was going to kill me. He said 20 years ago he was going to get me back. He said 20 years ago I was going to pay for what I had done. How many ever heard the devil tell you that before? And there are consequences. There absolutely are consequences. There are consequences in this life to the sins that we commit. But, but God, hallelujah, suffers with us through any consequence we may endure because of our, our sins. And Jacob became nervous. In fact, the Bible says that Jacob put his family to bed, got them all tucked in, made sure everybody's safe, everybody's doing good. And he goes for a walk. Sometimes you just got to get alone with God. And you know what? Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Hallelujah. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He will hear your faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turn then you know that the fire is burning and just a little talk with Jesus hallelujah makes it right don't sit around worrying about it don't sit around depressed about it don't sit around fearing it have a little talk with Jesus so Jacob goes out and he's just walking down by the Jabbok river and he's trying to get away from it all getting alone with your thoughts is overrated but being alone with your prayers is underrated. Jacob got alone with his prayers, talking to God. And while he's just kicking rocks by the Jabbok River, you know, you're not always expecting, you're thinking this is going to be a sweet hour of prayer. You're thinking this is going to be a little moment of, of you and God in dialogue, talking things over and you telling him what's going on and how you feel. And then all of a sudden the prayer meeting takes a turn. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. I haven't either, thankfully. Somebody jumped on him. No, no, I mean like for real. A body jumped on him, and he didn't know who it was. And this individual begins to fight him for his life, wrestles him all through the night. 
And, and, and many times, that's exactly what you have to do with the, with the feelings that you have concerning your past. You have to get alone with God and you have to wrestle with God in prayer so you can come out of this with victory over your past mistakes and failures. And so Jacob wrestles with this, this individual. Later he said that it was an angel and he said, I have seen the face of God. And, and he, he was wrestling with this individual all through the night to the breaking of the day. And you know, he, I'm sure, probably wondered if I could get out of this thing alive, I'll be happy. But he wrestled to the point that he had too much invested in it to quit. There'll come a point at which God will even let you quit. God will give you an out. You can get out of this thing without victory, without overcoming your past mistakes and failures. You, I'll, I'll let you go. Let me go, the angel of the Lord said. But Jacob had been in this wrestling match too long just to let it go. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hey, if you've been wrestling for a long period of time over a mistake in your past, over failures in your past, regardless of what those failures may be, if you've got some guilt that's sitting in your soul, if you've got some condemnation that the devil is hanging over your head and you're willing to quit just to give it up so you don't have to deal with that anymore, stop! Fight on! Stop that thinking and fight on. Fight to the break of day. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not coming out of this until I am blessed with victory over my past. I'm not coming out of this until I'm blessed with the peace of mind that comes from serving the Lord. Because that's not who I am anymore. That's not the person I am anymore. I'm not that same individual that made those same mistakes. That treated people that way. That acted in that fashion, I confess, and I love this part of the story, the angel said, what is your name? You know, that's the perfect time. Oh, well, you had the wrong guy the whole time. I'm Frank. Pleased to meet you. Yeah, Frank Ferguson. And uh, you? No, no, be honest. Who are you? What is your name? Tell him who you are. This is who I've been all my life. I've been Jacob. I've been cheater. I've been the supplanter. I've been the heel holder. I'm the guy who pushes other people out of the way so I can get what I want. That's who I've been. Just break it on down. This is called confession. Tell God. God, who you've been so he can tell you who you are. You're not Jacob. You're not cheater. You're not liar. You're not heel holder. You're not supplanter. I, but, but, but you don't understand. I've got documentation to show who I am. They've got stuff on me to show you who I am. This is what I've done. This is where I've gone. This is what I've been. And God wipes it all away with the precious blood of the Lamb and says, I'll tell you who you are. You're my son. You're my child. You're my beloved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, what a beautiful thing it is. Amazing grace. Ooh, hallelujah. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Uh-oh, there's the problem. There's the problem. When we say wretch, we're talking about everybody else. Sometimes we don't really think of ourselves as being wretched. But we're wretched in the sight of a holy God in whom is no variableness in whom is no shadow of turning There's, it's impossible for God to lie and yet we do it just we don't even know we do it and we do it but God looks down upon our on us and says I give you favor wow wow so y'all, I'll just say this. I, I'm going to praise him the rest of my days. I'm going to serve him the rest of my days. 
You do what you need to do, but he's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. There's not a pleasure in this world worth forsaking him for. There's not, there's not a device of this world worth departing from him for. Because he is so good to me. He's been so good to me. So Esau is coming back. Whoa. What does this mean? But somewhere between Jacob getting news that Esau was coming. And Jacob actually meeting up with Esau. He had an encounter with God, and he confessed who he had been. And God gave him victory over who he had been by empowering him to be who he was always destined to be. See, God knows you're to be a man of God, a woman of God. God knows that you are to be a, 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 a virtuous woman and a prayerful man. God knows that about you. That's why he doesn't give up on you. That's why, that's why when other people write you off, God's not writing you off. He's got pen in his hand waiting to write you in his book of life. He doesn't write you off all of your mistakes, all of you. You've written yourself off and God hasn't given up on you. Because God knows who you really are. And if you'll confess to him who you've been, then he can empower you to be who you are. And when Jacob left that encounter with God or with, with God by the Jabbok River. I love that, that it happened at the Jabbok River because it's kind of like a, a, a type of baptism because that's where I, I, when I repented of my sins and was baptized in the name of Jesus, just like Jacob, when I got thrown down in the water, I went down as who I had been. But when I came up out of the water, I came up with a new name emblazoned on my heart. With a new life story. With a new, with a new identity. And so Jacob goes on as Israel to meet Esau. And when he met Esau, then he found out Esau's got 400 men coming with him. That isn't good. There's no way that's good. I mean, the last thing Esau said to him was, Dear Jacob, I'm going to kill you. Sincerely, Esau. Hope you're well. Parentheses, just saying. I mean, just, I mean, this was the, it was the worst possible news. Here he comes with 400 men. And, and because of Jacob's relationship with his past, he had believed for the worst. He had misread the gesture. He had misinterpreted. He was sure this meant the doom of himself and his family. But because he had an encounter with God, everything changed. He went to meet Esau that next day and looked those 400 men in the eye and he wasn't afraid of what was going to happen. He knew Esau might still kill me. But Esau didn't come to kill anybody. Esau came to see his brother and make peace. Hallelujah. If you have an encounter with God, confess who you've been. He'll empower you to be who you are and he will give you peace with your past. He will give you peace with your past. Hallelujah. When James wrote concerning sickness, concerning those who are in need of healing in their bodies, the Bible, the Bible describes how he, how he illustrated this in verse 13 of James chapter 5. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another. That you may be healed. Hallelujah. Do you know some of you have conditions in your body caused by the anxiety and the stress of unconfessed sins. But the Lord's going to heal you. 
And the Lord's going to wash you clean. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Oh, hallelujah. 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 One of the greatest liberties you'll ever experience in God is when you stop trying to put on a show, put on a facade of who you want people to see you as. And you come to God in prayer and in faith believing. And you say to him, Lord, this is who I have been. But I need you to touch me. I need you to help me and strengthen me. And there's a great liberty that comes upon you when you confess to someone that you have wronged. When you come to them and say, I have wronged you, I have been wronged. And, and uh, one of the, it's one of the greatest challenges to your pride to do this. To be able to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Anybody ever had to do that before? I don't have enough hands to raise. I'm using my fingers too. Just, just, it, it, it flies in the face of everything you want people to think about you. You would never want someone to think you would do this or that or that you would feel this way or that way or that you would have this kind of an attitude or that kind of an attitude. And, and the truth is we're all human. And we've all got issues. And we've all got challenges. And that you don't go wrong by simply humbling yourself and saying, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. This is a fault. And I ask you to forgive me. There's liberty. And it's, it's when you develop a bond with the person who you were at once at odds with. And through humility, confession, through forgiveness, you create a bond with one another that nothing else could create. Hallelujah. And by doing so, confession wins the war over guilt. And that enemy of the heart is vanquished from your life. I wonder what we could do for God if we truly lived free of guilt. I wonder who we could love if we were truly freed from guilt. I wonder who we could minister to if we were truly freed from guilt. You know how many people are, are, are held back from the ministry God anointed them to do because they are afraid they're not worthy due to their past mistakes? It's a lie of the enemy. It's a trick of the devil. But God wants you to be free from guilt and from shame. Hallelujah. Let me just really quick before I close, let me talk to you about shame for just a moment. Shame is something that comes from guilt. And, 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 and not even just from guilt. Shame, you know, the devil doesn't need you to be guilty to make you feel like you're guilty. I remember Brother J.T. Pugh uh, preaching on the removal of humiliation. And he told the story of him having a dream. He was walking to his hotel room and at a general conference, and he said that as he walked into the hotel room and he began to get ready for bed, he said this horrific guilt came upon him. He was at a general conference, and this terrible, terrible guilt came upon him. And he, tried, he examined his heart, and he said, Lord, what have I done to feel so badly about myself? I feel so condemned for something. And he thought, have I, have I thought something I shouldn't have thought? Have I? Have I treated somebody badly? What have I done that, because this is real, I'm feeling this. I could come up with nothing that was unrepented of or unconfessed. And so he went to bed, and in the night he had a dream. And in this dream, he was walking to a, up the sidewalk and came upon a cemetery. It was a familiar cemetery to him. He walked into the cemetery and and he came to a grave site that was unearthed. And the grave diggers were pulling the soil out. And they were raising the casket of the person in that grave. 
And Brother Pugh looked at the headstone and it said, Here lies Lucy Pugh, his mother. And he said to the grave diggers in this dream, What are you doing? What are you doing to this grave site? They said, We are digging up the remains of Lucy Pugh because we have reason to believe that she was poisoned to death by her son. He said, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. He started backing up. He said, she died of natural causes. She, she died of natural causes. This isn't, this isn't true. This isn't right. And he ran out. He woke up with such a feeling of condemnation. He couldn't shake it. He went to bed the next night and had the identical dream. Same dream. Same condemnation the next morning. Woke up and went on his day. The third night, the identical dream. He concluded that story by saying, you don't always have to be guilty to feel guilty. The devil is a master at making people feel badly for things they didn't do. So this is why you have to wrestle with God. And say, God, this is who I've been. This is the stuff I'm aware of. And I give it to you and let God bathe you with peace of mind. Let God wash you. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come against every spirit of condemnation. Every whisper of the adversary that would try to hold people hostage to the things they've done in their past. Whether that past was 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. Things that you've done in your past. In the name of Jesus be free. In the name of Jesus be free. In the name of Jesus be free. And walk in the peace of your God and Savior. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, 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 glory to God. Let me say something here, and I pray that this will get a hold of somebody's heart. I want to tell you that you don't owe me anything. If you think you've hurt me, if you think you've said something, nobody here has, so don't worry. I'm not, not pointing to anything particular, but I'm talking about you or anybody out there. Nobody owes me anything, not even an apology, because Jesus paid it all. There are no outstanding debts. You don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me an apology. Nobody owes me nothing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Could somebody give God praise right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I wonder if there could be somebody to stand to their feet. Not everybody has to, but if somebody who just wants to give God praise because he set me free. He set me free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, he set me free. There's no guilt on me. There's no shame on me. There's no condemnation on me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you feel shame for things you didn't do. Some of you feel shame for things that happened to you. In the name of Jesus, be free. Be free. Be free in the name of the Lord Jesus. Be free in the name of the Lord Jesus. Be free in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, let the praises of the redeemed come up before the Lord. Let the praises of the redeemed come up before the Lord. Let the praises of the redeemed, let the praises of the redeemed come up before the Lord. Let the praises of the redeemed come up before the Lord. Let the praises of the redeemed, the praises of the forgiven, can the forgiven praise him? 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 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If God were on trial, if God were on trial and don't doubt it, he is. And if people were saying that he's a hateful God, if people were saying that he's a, a, that he's a, a, a harsh God, if people were saying that he's an overbearing God who expects too much, if people were saying that he doesn't exist, would you stand to your feet and say, he has forgiven me. He's not who you say he is. He's not the harsh that you, God that you say that he is. He's not hateful, he's loving. He has forgiven me. He has washed me clean. He has set me free. He has bought me with his blood. He has let me live a life of peace. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's power in repentance. There's power in repentance. But repentance is followed by confession. The scripture says, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. When we confess with our mouth the the majesty of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ, we are simultaneously confessing our inferiority to him. Could we do that tonight? Could you lift up your voices in confession and simply let him know, God, I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I am nothing without you. Without you, I can do nothing. I need your power in my life. I need your love in my life. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. I need you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, some of you are facing things and you think you deserve it because of what you've done in your past. But the Lord is letting you know, I have forgiven you. I have washed you. That's not who you are. That's who you were. But I have given you a new name. I have given you new life. New life. New life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to give. Until there's just no more to give, I want to love.